Hi, my name is Yasmin Terehi, and this is Gateways to Awakening, where we host one-on-one conversations with leading experts in wellness and spirituality. Today's show is about how the power of psychedelics can heal depression and anxiety. On this show, we'll be featuring our guest, Dina Burkitbaiva, who is a serial entrepreneur and investor in the mental health space. Her fund's Forward Vision Fund investments include Atai Life Sciences, Compass Pathways, The Third Wave, among others. Dina is very passionate about supporting companies and institutions building alternative solutions to mental health and helping promote the message that there are more ways to treat mental health than just medication and talk therapy. Dina runs an investment syndicate on AngelList focused on pre-seed and seed companies in the alternative mental health and higher consciousness companies, as well as a newsletter on investing and job opportunities in the space of mental health and psychedelic-assisted therapy. Thank you for joining us today, Dina. Thank you, Yasmeen. It's such a pleasure. Great. Yeah, very excited to have you on the show. I think there's been a lot of curiosity and questions around uh, just psychedelics in general. And so just for the layman, for people who are new to the space, can you tell us broadly, what are psychedelics? Uh, What are some of the more popular psychedelics as well in Western culture? Of course. So I want to preface this by saying that I'm not a doctor or a practitioner who works with patients, nor am I a scientist. Um, I'm an investor, as you've mentioned already, and I'm looking at alternative mental health solutions uh, with a focus on psychedelic-assisted therapy. So I'm familiar with the subject, but you know cannot uh, give any kind of medical advice. So to answer your question, um, psychedelics are psychoactive substances. Um, some are organic occurring and some are synthetically manufactured. Um, psychedelics have known to change the way a person perceives the world um, and can affect all the senses, altering the way a person's thinking, their sense of time, their emotions. Um, these medicines, these substances have been used for centuries. Um, you know, it goes back in history um, before we have, you know, as humans have even um, created drawings and writings on stones. So this is really, really a very ancient and sacred uh, healing modality um, that has been used both to heal mental health, but also to acquire higher consciousness. The most common psychedelics are um, LSD, which is a synthetically manufactured molecule, um, ayahuasca, which is a brew made from various plants found in South America and primarily in Peru. Um, psilocybin uh, is another one, and that is um, an organically occurring psychoactive ingredient in magic mushrooms. Um, and ibogaine, uh, which is a, the psychoactive ingredient in the plant named iboga. So one thing that I want to mention here is that there are other types of psychoactive substances, um, but are not necessarily considered psychedelics. So the four that I have mentioned before, which is LSD, ayahuasca, psilocybin, and ibogaine, are psychedelics. But um, there is a number of other psychoactive substances that are also being studied uh, pretty thoroughly right now for treatment of various mental health conditions. And these are um, ketamine, so S-ketamine and R-ketamine, 
um, MDMA, um, and uh, even cannabis. Cannabis uh, can obviously is psychoactive, and um, you know has been known to have some hallucinogenic and therapeutic properties as well. So just, I guess, for people to learn more about the research, I would urge them to go to maps.org slash research where they can learn more about um, the various studies that are happening across the the different um, psychedelic and psychoactive molecules. Great. Thank you, Dina. That was uh, very informative. And um, to just highlight the the four um, po- popular psychedelics that you mentioned, um, can you tell us what people usually experience uh, when they use these psychedelics? Maybe you could speak to this question at a high level, uh, obviously, <laughs> since I'm sure that there's a variety of, uh, of ways that you can explain it. Sure. I think one thing to kind of point out here is that the experience is very different uh, based on various factors. Obviously, you know, the dose, the set and setting, one's um, emotional and psychological state. But another way to really think about it is if you're doing it in a more kind of recreational way, which is, you know, kind of think like people doing LSD at Burning Man or people taking psilocybin and going on a hike with friends in nature. What I'm really focused in terms of my investments is um, the therapeutic work. So psychedelic assisted therapy. And this is very different from the recreational trips that I just mentioned. And the primary difference is that these journeys are inward. So, you know, patients are blindfolded. um, They're in a very sort of safe, secure, temperature controlled space. um, And they're usually accompanied by a therapist or maybe even two. This is something that's being worked out by the FDA right now as they're working with MDMA assisted therapy clinical trials and psilocybin assisted therapy clinical trials to see sort of what is the right protocol, what is the right set and setting and kind of the support that's needed by a therapist and maybe even um, a doctor. So the inward journeys, which are used for psychedelic assisted therapy, tend to have um, different effects on people. But I think just generally with psychedelics, in terms of sensations, people have reported hallucinations, ego dissolution, losing track and concept of time and space, um, this kind of divine feeling of oneness. There's also ongoing research about the biochemical effects of um, the various psychedelics, and they all have absolutely different effects, where, you know, whether there's an actual biochemical effect to create a a short-acting or longer-lasting antidepressant effect, sort of more is it affecting the brain chemistry beyond, you know, uh, what's happening during the trip itself? Is it sort of kind of creating the biochemical uh, effects to to change the chemistry for one to have an alleviation from depression or from anxiety or whatever the condition that a patient is dealing with? So I think one thing here that excites me the most about psychedelic assisted therapy um, is how people are able to do trauma work and, uh, you know, what, what 
in the psychedelics that allows for people to tap into certain uh, occurrences of trauma that um, they aren't able to do in a uh, sober state. Obviously, as, as you mentioned already, psychedelics have the potential to address diseases like depression, anxiety, PTSD, OCD, addiction, because they open up one's mind to addressing the traumas that were otherwise blocked. So by allowing for ego dissolution and turning off or, you know, partially disabling parts of the prefrontal cortex for the kind of the duration of the trip in the prefrontal cortex where all this sort of the head chatter happens, psychedelics allow the patients to feel safe enough and allows them to access trauma that has been numbed out or blocked off entirely. And so this kind of really allows people to go beyond what they're able to understand with their mind and tap into the intelligence of the body and of the subconscious. So trauma work just um, kind of through psychedelics have, have shown to be quite intense. Um, so one thing that's really, really important is doing integration uh, with a therapist or with a group. And uh, integration is something that I am seeing, you know, in the protocols that are being developed to go through the FDA is actually a really big part of, of psychedelic assisted therapy. And that's been amazing um, to see because it's such an important part of the experience itself, but also how do you you know, how do you take this very kind of incredible and intense experience, but make sure that it goes beyond just that trip, but really gets integrated into the way the patient is able to perceive themselves, the world, you know, whatever may be causing um, a condition that they are dealing with on a psychological and emotional level. And I'm curious if uh, you could maybe share some stories of healing um, that you've heard about since you've been in this space, you know, to speak to some of the, maybe the biochemical changes that have lasted for people um, who have suffered from some of the, the, the mental health issues that we spoke about, like PTSD or anxiety. Absolutely. So what I love about this space and sort of the, you know, the entrepreneurs, the activists, uh, the patients, the practitioners, uh, the legislators um, in this space are just very open and vulnerable about sharing some of personal stories or stories of their loved ones that have, you know, kind of encouraged them to look into the space and get involved so, you know, I've heard incredible stories, life-changing stories, anything from, you know, a serious heroin addict, you know, after having tried numerous traditional rehab centers and modalities, being treated by an Ibogaine sitting to uh, someone be overcoming a debilitating depression after having been on 10 different types of antidepressants. Um, through a psilocybin-assisted therapy session to, you know, just countless stories that start with psychedelics changed my life or I wouldn't be here right now if it wasn't for psychedelics. Um, so there's, there's definitely kind of um, uh, a, a very large number of believers in these modalities but one thing to kind of note is that the science is still early. And, um, you know, this is kind of 
uh, a mission of mine is to help support entrepreneurs and scientists and activists and practitioners in this space to be able to take that cause further, right? For these modalities to become available to everyone. And this is why they have to go through the rigorous clinical trials and be approved by the FDA so they can be covered by insurance and they can be available to the larger audience. And uh, for that, um, kind of there's a lot of work that is being done and still needs to be done. But the stories that exist are are truly inspiring. Do you have uh, any stats or maybe, um, you know, data that shows how psychedelics have healed people? Uh, I know that there's been many stories. I mean, I myself have, uh, you know, many friends who have shared the similar sentiments post-psychedelics. And I'm, but I'm just curious, you know, is there any um, research that really proves this on a maybe global scale or, um, you know, more of a macro scale? So there's definitely some statistics. Um, I think I would um, kind of shy away from uh, maybe kind of saying something on the podcast now, just because it's not entirely conclusive, because all of these um, therapies are still... Um, either, you know, even preclinical trials or with MDMA and psilocybin, they're, you know, in the later stages of the clinical trials with the FDA. But, um, you know, I think I think the consensus in the space is that everybody's just waiting for the data to be able to speak to it. Um, if, if people are interested, and I would encourage you to, is to go to the MAPS website and read kind of what's what the reports on the ongoing trials are. Um, I hope, sorry, that's, that's not yeah. more of like, this is 80% or 20%, but that's just kind of the reality. We need more data. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. That's a very fair point. And I, I think that for sure there's still, it's still early right now with, um, you know, uh, having access to psychedelics and, and I'm sure that the fact that it, it's mostly illegal right now, or it's entirely illegal makes it difficult to, um, you know, to capture the data. So Dina, can you tell me why you decided to invest in the companies that you've invested in? I know you look at hundreds, maybe thousands of companies in, in the mental health and psychedelic space, but I'm curious, uh, can you tell us about why, what qualifications you had to determine which companies you wanted to invest in and why? Absolutely. The reason is, is because, you know, I want to support and help advance treatments and mental health. I specifically wanted to look at alternative treatments. And what I mean by that is um, outside of just psychiatry and prescription medication and talk therapy. And, you know, I kind of did a very thorough deep dive into what are the other modalities um, that, you know, um, exist in the space. And, you know, the categories of that include, you know, the gut brain and the hormone brain interactions as well as neurofeedback and other neurotech devices as well as sort of more of the alternative and holistic approaches and um, psychedelics which has been uh, the primary focus over the last two years has really stood out as kind of a combination of strong uh, safety and efficacy um, evidence Um, you know obviously as we've mentioned still not fully proven because they have not come through the FDA, but um, strong indications that um, these are both safe and efficacious. 
and also for it to be sort of the right time uh, with the you know mental health epidemic looming, but also certain things that are happening in the um, legislation surrounding uh, psychedelics um, in the past primarily two, three years has been very encouraging. So um, just a few things to mention, you know, in March of 2018, the FDA approved the esketamine nasal spray for treatment-resistant depression. Um, the FDA also granted breakthrough therapy designation to for psilocybin therapy for major depressive disorder to USONA Institute and did the same for psilocybin therapy for treatment-resistant depression to Compass Pathways in October of 2018. Um, and obviously, MAPS got the breakthrough therapy designation for MDMA for PTSD in August of 2017, right? So um, all of these kind of factors together has really highlighted um, psychedelic-assisted therapy as being in the forefront of the alternative treatments, which could have, you know, a huge effect on millions and millions of people's lives. In terms of the teens, yeah, in terms of the teens, I think uh, what was very important to me as an investor um, are some of the sort of the more traditional things that you look in a team, which is, you know, uh, the team uh, itself. Um, both kind of on the business side, but also on the scientific side, their understanding and their depth of knowledge uh, when it comes to these compounds uh, and their ability to take these molecules and these and perform the clinical trials to take them through the FDA, you know, defensibility, sort of the more traditional things that you look for as an investor. Um, but also one thing that was added in the equation is how invested are the teams, the founding teams and the rest of the team to kind of the success of this um, because they truly care about the mission rather than saying, hi, this is a really hot industry it has a huge addressable market, you know, and we could we could make a quick buck on it. And I think the space right now, having become so, I think, attractive, has both um, people who genuinely care and people who are seeing it as kind of this new, exciting space to be in. So that's definitely a very strong filter. Right. Yeah, great. And thank you um, for sharing your reflections. Um, and I think, you know, mission mission in this space in particular is incredibly important, as you mentioned, because we're talking about people's mental health, right? And mental health has to be even more important uh, than profit. You know, we live in a capitalistic world, but when it comes to these issues... Patient's outcome is the most important thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, Dina, can you tell me why you think that this subject is important? Why did you gravitate towards this field? Absolutely. I think I touched on it a little bit, but, you know, mental health is an epidemic. We don't have to sort of, you know, go through uh, why that's the case. And, you know, when I discovered that the current solutions that are available to people who are struggling are not effective in 30% of the time, right? So 30% of people who are dealing with, let's say, major depressive disorder, 
cannot be treated by either prescription medication or talk therapy. They just don't respond to these treatments or the side effects outweigh the benefits of taking them, right? So these people to date do not have effective ways to treat um, their mental health condition, which is affecting their entire lives, right? And so as I kind of mentioned, uh, psychedelics have shown efficacy for that population, as well as the larger population of MDD who can take and who do respond to prescription medication. But it has really addressed this 30 percent of people, which I think on reported numbers is 100 million people worldwide, right? It's a huge number, but we know that this number is much larger because, you know, around 60 to 65% of people who are struggling with a mental health disorder don't actually get diagnosed and don't actually go and seek um, treatment. So it's a huge problem. It's a huge number of people who, who are struggling. And so kind of having seen the data that um, the psychedelics and the other psychoactive therapies are showing for these conditions has been um, incredibly kind of inspiring to say, listen, I think out of everything that there is on the market that, you know, could help these people, this is definitely something where I would want to focus my attention on. Dina, can you tell us what some of the, you know, risks are of using psychedelics? I know we spoke about the positive impact, but there are certainly risks. And so if you can just perhaps speak to them. In terms of risks, um, there are risks. And again, I'm not a doctor or practitioner. So again, my answer may be incomplete. But there are various medical and psychiatrics, uh, psychiatric counterindications for using psychedelics as a therapy. You know, psilocybin has shown that there is a heart condition counterindication. So if you if you have heart conditions, you most likely are not fit for psilocybin-assisted therapy. And I think you know, various, various things, including, you know, not being in a totally good state of mind, uh, because, you know, with these, with these substances, there's a possibility of, you know, a certain, uh, emotion or certain kind of, uh, condition to be, to be amplified at any one point. So, you know, my, my huge urging to to people who are considering it is to definitely kind of do their research and work with professionals who have experience doing this. And because, you know, uh, it while it can be incredibly healing and can change one's life, it also carries a lot of risk. And, you know, until these therapies are through the FDA and have been cleared um, and there's kind of a good understanding around the protocol of it, there's definitely risk in kind of doing doing these things outside of, you know, the approved protocols. And uh, here's something to note, you know, in the U.S. right now, none of the four psychedelic molecules that I mentioned are legal. Um, you know, ayahuasca can be used during church, uh, sacred ceremonies, um, but they're all schedule one and they have not been approved by the FDA for therapy purposes. And when they are, they will have to be prescribed 
by a doctor. So as of right now, it's only esketamine that has been approved for treatment-resistant depression. And that is the only sort of legal treatment that one can get right now in the U.S. So kind of having said that, there's kind of psychiatric medical risks that one should be aware of, but also um, the legal risks that are associated by, you know, with taking a schedule one substance. Great. Thank you, Dina. And so for people that want to uh, try out uh, S-ketamine, where, where can they find that? There are a ton of actually uh, ketamine clinics or mental health clinics that provide uh, ketamine therapy or ketamine-assisted therapy. Um, and I'll just briefly discuss the difference between uh, between the two. So, ketamine therapy includes uh, kind of includes just the intake, the administration of of the ketamine. So that can be done through an IV or intramuscular shot or a um, lozenge. Those are usually kind of the the three most popular ones. So you know, one would go into a clinic. Um, get a prescription, uh, get approved for it after having done a medical and a psychiatric diagnostics with, with, with a doctor. And they would just take the kind of the ketamine and go through the experience. Versus ketamine assisted therapy includes ketamine, the administration of the ketamine, but also working with a therapist. Um, on sort of, you know, kind of setting the intention of what the patient would like to work on during the experience, but also doing a lot of integration work after um, and in between the actual administration of the ketamine. And so when in terms of ketamine administration, ketamine assisted therapy, there are around 250 different clinics across the U.S. that are offering this type of therapy. And, you know, they're kind of present in any large or kind of um, kind of larger city. What also has become available recently for a portion of the population that would qualify is uh, virtual ketamine therapy. So um, if you've had the experience before and you you know, kind of you, you had a positive experience and, or the doctor sees that you check out for the medical and the psychiatric uh, reasons that you can actually take the ketamine and lozenges at home and either kind of do it all by yourself or be connected to a nurse or, and or a therapist online. So that is something that's available and has become even more available now that, you know, um, virtual ketamine therapy, you know, has been has been approved by the government. In terms of the other substances, um, as I mentioned already, they're they're schedule one in the U.S. and pretty much across the world. Um, There's a few exceptions. And here's the thing. Again, this is very much a gray area. Um, there's a there's kind of clinical trials going on in dozens of countries all at the same time. So, you know, if and, uh, you know, when these get um, approved, it's going to be happening quite quickly, I think, country by country. But um, 
kind of what's available right now is, you know, for example, the psilocybin truffles are being sold in the coffee shops in the Netherlands. And there is a very kind of prominent, one of the first retreats, um, psilocybin retreats named Synthesis that operates, um, you know, 30 minutes outside of Amsterdam, for example. So technically psilocybin assisted therapy is available by the intake of the truffles in the Netherlands. You know, obviously ayahuasca ceremonies are being held across Peru um, and, you know, in a few other countries across South America. So it's, it's kind of a gray area with just a few locations that have either that either have legal or most of the time kind of gray area legal uh, legislation around um, around these substances. Okay. Well, the people in, uh, I guess we're going to go to Amsterdam might, um, <laughs> might buy up all those truffles <laughs> soon. So great. Uh, well, I guess you can't really travel as much during COVID. So unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what sort of things have surprised you in this journey, Dina? I think it's really, it's really how passionate uh, people are about these kind of therapies, these modalities, uh, and I would say that it's definitely the profile of a person that has surprised me. Um, and by profile of a person, I would say that it's all types of people that are attracted to supporting um, and making these therapies available. So I wouldn't say that it's just one type of person that believes in this cause and wants to make it happen. It's literally of all ages, of all ethnic and demographic um, and socioeconomic backgrounds. And, you know, whenever there are events or conferences um, or just the people that you meet in the space, it's it's literally everybody across the board, which, you know, makes me believe that, uh, you know, there's real incredible potential in making this available in a safe way. Great. Yeah. And uh, Dina, what books or resources can you recommend to our audience to read or check out if people uh, want to learn more, want to do their own due diligence? I know you mentioned maps earlier. Um, is there any any others or any other books that that you found particularly useful in this journey? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a ton of amazing books, but I think for someone who's just trying to learn, I don't like overwhelming people. I would say what's what's you know written really well and is very accessible is Michael Pollan's book, How to Change Your Mind. Um, I think that's a great kind of entry point into understanding the history. In the potential of these um, of these medicines. Okay, great. Yeah, I actually uh, saw Michael Pollan uh, speak in San Francisco and got a book signed by him. So, <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Book. Was that at Manny's? <laughs> it was at Manny's. Yeah. Oh my God, it was there as well. <laughs> um, so what do you want to tell our listeners about health and wellness and mental health? What's sort of your main uh, takeaway? Yes, um, I think. One thing uh, that I'm really passionate about and the message that I want to bring to the world is that there are many different modalities to help treat mental health and also achieve mental wellness, right? So sort of if you're not in a good place, get you to the steady state and then also help you achieve 
real kind of wholesomeness and well-being. Um, and there are a ton of modalities. And this is why I'm so thankful to the work that you're doing with the podcast is, is trying to educate people about that. Because I think what I've seen a lot in the mental health space is a lot of people just, you know, are very discouraged and give up after they've tried, you know, five, seven different medications and have been going to talk therapy for years and just aren't able to really kind of move the needle for themselves. Um, and, you know, based on kind of having spoken to hundreds and hundreds of people who have gone through their journeys with mental health is, is that they've had to try a bunch of different things. Some of them did not work. And, you know, with enough perseverance and kind of faith that, um, you know, things are going to work out. People are able to find those few modalities that have really worked for them and have been able to create, um, beautiful lives. And I just kind of want people to know that there are many things out there and, um, hopefully we're building more and more resources and services and products to help make it easier. Beautiful, Dina. Thank you. That's, yeah, a really important message. I think uh, there's just so much misinformation, and, um, and I think a lot of people don't know that there's many more tools and resources to access um, for their mental health. So, yeah, I think that's a very important message. Thank you. And, um, Dina, I know that you mentioned that you have a newsletter um, and that you also um, have a syndicate on AngelList. Can you share the website of the places that you can kind of point folks to so that they can find you if they want to get in touch or learn more about your work? Absolutely. Um, yes. So I can give you those links. Please find them in the bio for the episode. But just briefly, uh, besides the fund, I also have launched a angel list syndicates uh, where, um, you know, where uh, bringing investment opportunities for alternative mental health companies. And the initial focus is, is very much psychedelic assisted therapy that allows people to put in much smaller checks, um, you know, sort of in the few thousands to be able to participate in the pre-seed and seed companies. Um, and, you know, I, I pretty much see all the deal flow and, you know, we're, we're very fortunate to have a few really, really good companies that we're syndicating. And the other thing that I do is I run a newsletter um, that is focused on psychedelics investment and um, business where every other month I basically uh, summarize what's been happening in the space of psychedelics on the business side and what the available investment opportunities are, one I'm syndicating, but also the larger list uh, that you may want to participate in, and also various job and consulting opportunities. I kind of see myself as a bridge uh, between, you know, sort of the business world that wants to learn, uh, wants to invest and wants to get involved in the space. Um, and having been sort of learning as much as I can about it for the last few years. I'm always happy to see more, more uh, people entering the space and kind of helping maybe more of the business folks um, to find their way into the space. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for sharing your time, your 
resources. And, and also, um, I found this uh, conversation to be very educational, you know, and I think for most people who are just getting started or even have experimented with psychedelics, I think that there is again, such a, a black hole of, of information, um, on where to go next and what, how to integrate and what it even all means. So I'm just really grateful that you're able to come on the show and explain so many very popular questions. Um, so thank you, Dina. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much, Yasmeen. Okay, <laughs> wonderful. For our audience, thanks for joining and for listening. In this episode, we learn about the power of psychedelics to heal depression and anxiety. Tune in to Gateways to Awakening, where we host one-on-one conversations with leading experts in wellness and spirituality. Thanks again.